Hi, everyone. This is Gloria, the host of the Love in the Work You Do podcast. And today I have with me Patience Rowe. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, and Patience is here today because, of course, this is our grief series podcast. And um, we share that in common. And so we're going to explore that. We will also explore patience, um, you know, her unique story. I feel like she's a really authentic person. I, I'm curious as to how one develops authenticity um, at a young age, and we'll um, explore that. Patience is also a native of Washington, D.C., um, so yay, you know, we're in the DMV. Um, she is a singer. She is a creator. She is the director of programs at um, Meka's Lab in DC. And most importantly for me, I, when I say she is a creator, it's because she has a show called um, The Good Grief, right? That she created years ago um, that, ha that supports um, healing for people that are going through grief. So hopefully um, 2021, she'll bring it um, to life again. Yay, fingers crossed. So, um, and with that, I hope that um, everyone listening will join us and stay for this conversation. If everything I've explained about patience sounds like something that you would love, to dig into, then come on in, pull up a chair, and let's learn together. So, hi, patients. Nice to hi. see you. Hey, Gloria. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to be here. Same. I'm excited to have you. And I hope for me that every time every anyone comes to the show that I'm still this excited. So, just saying. <laughs> so, I know I did my intro, but one thing I always love people to do is to introduce themselves also, because, um, you know, I may see some things in you, but then you may also know some things also. So um, can you share a little bit about who you are with the people listening? Absolutely. Uh, like Gloria said, I am the director of programs of an arts-based organization in D.C. called Makers Lab. We now we have transitioned into creating virtual and video opportunities for artists to come, especially Black LGBTQ artists, to come and perform and create. Um, I am also a middle school science teacher at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so I teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade science. I am married. I did create a, it's actually the two-year anniversary of Good Grief. Um, Ooh, so okay. In January of 2018. So three years, right? 2018, 19. Yeah, three years. Three year, three year anniversary. Um, um, I'm like, it's 2021. Yes. Yes. So the grief is three years old now. I've done it in Seattle and I've done it in DC. So hopefully I get to do it again. And it is, I'm an advocate for uh, folks, especially uh, people of color, exploring their grief mm -hmm. and being able to find the best ways to grieve that fit them. So okay. that's who I am. That that is amazing, and um, so the I also noticed that you sing. So um, when you sing, are those songs that you just come up with by yourself, 
or some of them so i have about four albums with my band boom scat i'm in a band also called boom scat uh we have a few albums on google play spotify everything and so i write my own songs but i do covers as well so wow that's amazing good work (laughs) good work so um i'm going to um start with a few questions so one of the one of the questions I like asking immediately is so for me like I'm totally I'm not sure if the word is enamored but like I am you know when I see people who seem to know what they want to be in life or have always known you know it just um it's something that I love to explore like um I know when we talked initially um that we I know for a fact that you address yourself as queer right Mm -hmm. um and apart from that like how and and it's not just something you did as an adult which a lot of people do now people come out and you know declare their individuality or their gender um at an older age but at a young age you knew that that was who you were and you you know it's not that you even stopped being that at any time but you've continued to sustain it. And I wonder if for any young person, right, um, that is that how do you come to understand yourself um, and embrace that at that young age? Um, I think that I honestly don't know how how I got here, (laughs) but um, not that it wasn't a struggle because my mom was definitely... Uh, very much so in the church, right? And so my godparents are pastors. My mom was always very active in the church. She was a minister, so I consider myself a PK. So it was it was a struggle. <laughs> PK, right? pastors, kid pastors people. Kid, yeah. <laughs> Preacher's kid, pastor's kid, yep. And so I, um, it was definitely a struggle being clear that I was queer. Um, I came out at 15. I was actually forced out. Somebody saw me holding hands with a girl in DC. And so someone told my mom and that is how she found out. But I think finding people who are my tribe, I guess, finding Mm -hmm. people outside of home Mm -hmm. who, you know, were also queer was a big deal for me. And being from DC, I realized that people who are like in Southern places who are in smaller towns do not have that, um, do not have that privilege. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful that I had that. So I had mentors and I had people at school who were part of the GSA and I had friends who were queer and whose parents were okay with it. And so I kind of gravitated oh, wow. towards them. And when I went to college, I chose a place where I knew that I could be myself. So I okay. went to college in Chicago and I went to an art school and they had a thriving LGBTQ office. Okay. And so being able to find my tribe, they exist. Right. They okay. exist even if they don't exist in your home. There are people that that look like you, that love like you, that will support you. And I think I found that for mm-hmm. me. And that has just continued my growth in my, you know, in my identity, which is such a small part of me, right? It's a it's a part, but it's like there's so many other phenomenal and amazing things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and my queerness as an advocate for queer folks is a is a part of me, but there, there's so many other things, right? There's so many other identities that I have. And so I just, I, I just found people that 
help to foster mm-hmm. different identities. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, at a young age where so many of us are um, being conditioned by our environments, by the words that we hear, that, you know, you are a breath of fresh air. Um, and thank you for digging deep into that. Um, I also want to draw out one thing that I heard you say, and that was that um, as a young child, right, you, you found community in places. I thought that was amazing. And, and truthfully, DC and just being in the DMV facilitates some of those things. Um, if you're already in community there, then you probably can find other pockets of community. Um, I also feel like the information you shared that you actually intentionally chose your college. See, that's wisdom. Like, um, because you can try to fit in um, to like a generic place and totally feel terrible like inside of your soul um, for a long time. So I, um, I, if anybody's listening, who is trying to figure out who they are, I feel like that's a good um, leading, good information for them to, to have. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and again, I don't think I mentioned this, but um, patience is also a little bit Nigerian. Are you 50% Nigerian? I'm 50% Nigerian. 50%. My, my dad is a Nigerian. I, used, yeah. I usually have a picture of my dad and you can very much so tell that he is Nigerian. So, oh yeah. and I look just like him. I, I really do. I look, oh, look like him. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's good. So, I like that we, we have that in common. Do you used to say, oh, you have to make sure that your grades are really good? Get A's only. Da, 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 da. Yes. My oh. mom thought she was Nigerian. She was not. She's from, <laughs> she was from Southeast. But when I tell you, my mother thought that she was Nigerian. If my aunties call or my, my dad's sisters or anybody calls, she would go into straight, she would go to straight Yoruba accent. Like, and she understood, oh, wow. she understood enough pigeon to, to communicate. Yeah. Oh my God. She's from, she was from Southeast, but she swore she was, she was Nigerian. <laughs> or up and down. She was one of those people. She fully took on the culture. Okay. Yes. I, yes. I think I know a couple of them. Um, growing up, after we moved back to Nigeria, like even we had family in the United States who came back to Nigeria with with their wives, um, and, and you could see that they actually really enjoyed um, the culture. Again, mm-hmm. like that's why you're such a unique um, individual, and and you were able to 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 be your own self from a young age. I feel like with a mother like that, you can't. Um, you can't go wrong. So, um, so one other question I will ask is about this work. You know, the <clears throat> so the project you're working on is good grief, um, but also you are in the field of the creatives. And I wonder, at least for me, anyway, because I, I am always on a journey to find that thing. But I wonder for you, is that also something you knew from a young age? Like, oh, I knew you knew you were going to be in the creative field. Like, absolutely, um, you did. Oh my yeah. gosh, how how do people know these things? I mean, my whole my family sings, so all all of my aunts and uncles they've always sang, and only one of them sang professionally. One of them was okay. a professional uh, singer, but they all performed, and I just 
I loved it. I loved mm. theater so much. I was in all of the middle school productions that I could be a part of. When I got into high school, I was in all of the productions I could be a part of. I did um, two semesters at American University with their Youth Voices program. So I was in their radio program and created radio uh -huh. spots and also uh, stories, short radio stories. Um, and I just always knew that the arts was what I wanted to do. Wow. Um, it's always been a choice. I've learned how to play. I'm not proficient anymore. I had the basics of like the violin and and the the piano. And so I was just always taking lessons in the arts. I was in dance. I was doing all of the things. Um, wow. And it just has, it's always been a choice for me. The arts has always been a choice. Um, the pandemic is actually why I'm teaching because it's harder to have gigs now. There are less gigs because nobody's coming outside and mm -hmm. virtual gigs are weird and they pay less. But I was, um, I quit my job um, when I was 24, 23. I worked for DC government uh, in their HR department. And then I worked for um, a the, the PR department. So I worked for their marketing and public affairs department. And I quit my job because I got, it invited my band got invited to South by Southwest for the first time. Oh yeah. And so I was like, I can do this full time. And then I had to go back to work again. Um and then I quit my job again. But I have I have always and continually chosen the arts in all of its forms. Okay. Um and even now as a teacher, the thing that I use most is mm -hmm. are my skills from acting. Mm -hmm. That is what I use most, my improv skills, all of those things as a teacher. That's what I use. And um, yeah, because you, you teach sciences, mm -hmm. which is weird. Like you're in yeah. creative arts, but you teach sciences. Yeah. How is that? They needed a science teacher. They need, I worked with the school last year in their aftercare program. And so I would do things with the school and they need one of their science teachers quit. So I was one of the first choices. And my wife also teaches math there. Okay. And so I was around. That was, that was, that was, the, one of the creatives that um that is also very sharp with their math skills oh no absolutely not that is not the truth <laughs> that is the opposite i'm just very good at studying what i have to teach because i'm not science isn't my background mm -hmm. um but i do study i teach three different curriculums so i study all different types of things. I, I, I read the material, yeah. stay ahead of the material. So that is how I, that's why acting is such an important part because I do a lot of improv. I do a lot of improvisation teaching. That is so true. That is so true. Wow. Okay. So it's like research skills and um, yeah. And then just being on your game, like you said, acting. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty good. Okay. I like that. Mm, we're going to get into the, to the grief stuff. So um I know that, um, again, like I said at the beginning, we both have the grief in common um, and that your mom died from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, can you share the, you know, the, the, the grief story of, of that and um, how it affected you? So one thing about me is I talk about my mom at least once a day. I talk about my mother every day. Oh my I mention God. her 
I and I had to really get over this thing about like people don't get tired of hearing about your mother. You always talking about your mother. And I'm like, after a while, I was just like, 27 years with that lady, me and her for a long time. It was just us. I'm going to talk about her. I'm not holding this in. I'm going to talk about my mother every day. And so um, she passed away in 2017. She, I hate when people say lost a battle, lost her battle. She didn't lose anything. She wasn't a loser. She did not lose anything. Um, cancer took, took her from here uh, prematurely at that. And so she was 57 years old and... Um, she battled with metastatic breast cancer and so it had spread all over her body and she got really sick and really tiny um, and then it was too late but she finally ended up getting her mastectomy and having the tumor removed and she was on oxygen and getting better like she was actually doing better and I traveled in March again to go to South by Southwest for like the third time um, and I was getting ready for a performance. I was opening up for Erica Badu and Wu-Tang Clan and Ari Lennox and all these people. And somebody sent me a message on Facebook and with their condolences. And hmm. I was like, I don't know what you're even, what are you talking about? And so I started to call my family because my mom was being taken care of. We were thinking about putting her in, in hospice until she could get better. Cause that was, that was the thing. She was going to get better. There was no she wasn't going to die from this. Okay. She was going to get better. Her faith was so big that it infected everybody around us, even mm. as we saw her dwindling. And so I, I left and then she passed away and I, I stayed for a couple of days in, in Texas and did my shows. And then I came back um, to bury my mom. And so one thing about my mom is I had never really even seen her sick before Okay, breast cancer really took over. Um, she was a hairstylist. She stood on her feet for hours. She owned her own, her own building. She paid it off after 30 years in downtown Silver Spring, which is a feat. Um, she just was a powerful, powerful woman. And so the impact of that, every, everybody's grief is hard. Mm -hmm. And also the impact of like everybody else grieving my mother was a lot. And so... She was just the rock of my family. She was the rock for other people. You know, when you're a hairstylist, you're basically somebody's psychiatrist. You yes. know, somebody, <laughs> everything. And so she was that to a lot of people. And so it was very hard for me to lose my mom. because so she was that to me. Mm -hmm. We had our differences. We had our struggles, all of those things. But she really, you know, she was a phenomenal mother. And so I lost her in 2017. Uh, came back and buried her and was okay and was doing okay for a little bit was trying my best to get through it and then um, a few days after my birthday I went to go see my best friend because she was also sick me her and her her and my mom got diagnosed at the same time she had a um, a blood can a bone cancer I'm sorry she had a sarcoma and so she was I went to go see her and she looked so much like my mom in the bed in the hospital bed when she was sick she was just she had to cut her hair off and all of these things. And a few weeks later, she I got the call from her mom that she passed. And so I was out and her mom called me and left a message. And I knew immediately what it was. I called her back. She told me and I fell out in the middle of the floor, in the middle of the ground on Rhode Island Avenue. Wow. And so um, that was really the start of my spiral into my grief. I was doing okay and, mm -hmm. until I was not. 
<laughs> until I was not. And so for about two years, I was I wouldn't get out the bed. I didn't. It was two years off and on. I quit my I quit my job because I they were going to fire me because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was drinking a lot. I was doing drugs. I was just doing a lot of stuff that I uh-huh. had no business doing. Um, well, had no business doing, but it was grief. Mm-hmm. 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 And grief I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know at the time that that's what it was. But I was just in such a spiral of depression. Mm. Um, so that has been my process until I until I wasn't anymore. And then I, I suddenly started coming out of it. I started working at the school that I work at now, uh, working with kids and just you know, trying to get back to the person that I, not the person that I was, because that person's not here anymore, but uh-huh. really just deal that's, with my new normal. That's awful. Okay. Yeah. That's a powerful statement right there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was like not having two of the most powerful women in my life, mm-hmm. you know, there. And in a, in a year before that, a year before my mom passed, my work mom passed. And so the woman who worked with me at DC housing, who had worked with me since I was 15, she also had cancer and that was quick. And that took her and that was really hard. And then my mom's play mom passed that same year. So the women in my life um, Mm. were just leaving. The people that I would have called on when my mom died Mm -hmm. were not here. Mm, That's tough. And so, you know, and then the people I would call when Krista died, like my mom, we're not here. And so, I just was in a, I was in a rough place. And so out of that came grief, but also came good grief, which is the play, the one woman show that I wrote. And it was just about all of the things that I went through Mm -hmm. during that depression. And there were, there were a lot of things, a lot of things. And it kind of (laughs) encapsulates many of them. Um, What what would one of those be? The one that maybe after a particular show, someone came to you and they were like, you know, I relate to that part of your show so much. Oh, there were actually a whole lot of things, but I wrote a poem called, uh, and there's no explicit word in it, but it, I wrote a poem called I Washed My Ass Today. That was mm. one of the first poems because I was not taking showers. I wasn't doing, I wasn't taking wow. care of myself. I wasn't brushing my teeth. Was it, I just wasn't doing things. And so the the poem I washed my ass this morning just was talking about how, like, I wouldn't get out of the bed. The only joy that I had today hmm. was, um, was taking a shower. Mm. That's the only thing that I could do, you know? And that was every now and again. Hmm. You know, that, having, doing that was a feat enough. I couldn't do anything else. If I took a shower, I could not do anything else. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was the that's the poem that resonated with me the most, mm-hmm. and I think with other people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I resonate with it too. Uh, I see now that maybe in a way I have been lucky. Um, my struggle hasn't been that much. I don't know why but i've still struggled and i've battled um i I think one of the good things i i I learned pretty quickly was to check in with my therapist every week once my um father passed i was like 
immediately a pastor was like, I need an emergency session with Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And so I got an emergency session. Like, you know, when she found out what had happened, you know, she was like, okay, do you want to be seeing me every week? I'm like, look, I want to see you every week. Every, so can we do like, like day? Shoot. <laughs> no, I should, you know. But, but there was a week I did need her more than once, right? And I couldn't get her. And I ended up, um, a girlfriend now told me, she was like, oh, try the, um, I think the crisis helpline, um, maybe the 211 number, I believe. So I'd called them and, and, you know, they listened. Of course, they don't actually give you advice. But sometimes, you know, even just someone listening to you talking is part of um, the process. So that... <laughs> That was nice. Um, at the beginning, I know for me, I also, um, how do I explain this? I don't do like strong drinks and things of those nature. Um, if I do drink it, it'll be because like maybe there's, I have, I bought wine because I really want to drink wine. So I'm not going to say I don't drink wine, but I don't, if I check my box at the doctors, I'm one of those people who like, you know, how many times do you drink a year? I'm like two, two to four. Well, one thing I learned from my dad um, <clears throat> when I had my first child, which I fought with the guy, which was a shame. It was like, after the baby came, I remember we were at Holy Cross Hospital and he came to visit me because it was around from Nigeria then. And he was like, oh, you know, you brought me like, um, it, it, it's called gin in Nigeria, but like whatever, he got it here somewhere. Um, and it was like, oh, so now that you've had the baby, you drink this, so it clears your thingy. And Lord knows I was such a spiritual or religious fanatic then. Like, I was like, never will I drink that. It was like, it was going to help you. I was like, no, it was like, this is what you use when you just give birth. And, you know, it's also good, you know, for when, like, when your heart is heavy and you're just not your normal. So, of course, in celebration of him passing and knowing, like, I was grieving him, I was like, you know what? Wine. Yeah. Wine. So. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> traditions and rituals and creating rituals that connect you to your people after they are gone mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. so important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is I think so that's important. what it is. I was trying to connect myself to him. Listen, the first Mother's Day after my mom passed, my friends, because I had some really amazing, amazing, amazing friends, even when I was going through all of my crap and being who I was being, my friends were phenomenal mm -hmm. in that, in helping me through my grief. And they, they just all came over to my house hmm. with food. They brought salmon, they bought grits, they bought vegetables, mm -hmm. they bought all of the things that my mother would love because most of them knew her. You know, they just bought things and mm -hmm. sat with me. For We just sat, we laughed, we joked, we did all of the things. And that helped me to feel closer to her. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. finding rituals, mm -hmm. drinking wine, whatever it is that you got to do. If you have to pour a glass for him, whatever it is, those things are so important mm -hmm. to do. They are. They, are. they help um, our grieving. Um, I think one thing I also did was, there was there's a table in my in my house or in my room, I should say, where like, I'm always at that table whenever I call him. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I didn't know I was making memories, right? So I just noticed like after it passed, like every time I sat at that table, especially the last conversation I had with him where I'd written something he had told me to do down, right? Um, 
it was just almost felt like I don't know, it just felt weird. Um, like I was still stuck or something. So I remember talking to my therapist about my feeling and then she was like, Oh, you know, you may have to change certain things if it triggers a memory of them. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to to just move that table around and truthfully it helped me like you know because it almost felt like that that position was always for him and in my head I'm like you know what I see how I need to I will at some point move out of where I am because the place really represents him too for me um it's you know but again we all find ways to help us um on that on that grieving grieving journey um, so I know in our other conversation, you've mentioned that you had maybe like a little bit of mental, no, no mental health issues. Was it mental health? Yeah. Okay. That also, um, depression, mental mm-hmm. health. I, I want to label it correctly. Depression. So, uh, depression. diagnosed with chronic depression and I have PTSD, uh, oh panic disorder and ADHD. Mm, let me tell you something. I just got my psychological test on this past week. Yes, because um, I've just been like, there's certain things I know I can't do that I've struggled to overcome in the last couple of five years. But I also know that I can't just be giving myself labels, which I have done all my life. Like, but I noticed the patterns and I was like, you know what? I told the therapist, like it was even before my dad had passed. I was like, look, I want to explore this. I, I know like it appears like I'm an anxious person. Um, I know I'm dramatic in, in certain ways, which would I used to <laughs> sure one extra. extra. It's very <laughs> I, I need that sure. But I didn't know that dramatic also meant like it's it's just like <gasps> you're like this that for me that's what dramatic means. Um, but anyway, I did the the test, so we'll we'll see. She said well, all the tests I did would would show like you know whatever I am. Um, so I should get my reading in February. Um, the session with her, but I think it's it, you know it's good information to know how those things affect um how we deal with situations um and how we show up for ourselves um Mm -hmm. i I feel like one thing i know better from 2020 is that we're not all the same and um you know i just remember growing up everyone always wanted me to be doing and i guess it's also like a nigerian thing you know, it's always A's, you know, if you don't, if you get C's or what have you, you know, you're not living up to the, to the Nigerian standard. Um, and you're always producing, you know, you're never resting, you know, it's always off to the next thing. And I remember a few years ago, I was part of a project somewhere and, you know, we had done it, it was really good. And then the next thing I heard the program ended and someone, um, or the event ended and someone had said, oh, um, we're going to make it better next year. I said, why do we need to make it better? Like, how we just enjoy that? We finished this year and then replicate the same thing. It doesn't, you know, need to get better. But th- that's the not running me. Then realizing, like, you know, I think 
you're different. I think other people actually just want to keep the the momentum going. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like certain things about myself. I joke, I say I'm OCD. Sometimes I'm, you know, sensitive. I'm an empath, but I overthink things. Um, a good, good um, example. She told me what was the difference, similarity <laughs> between two and seven. The question was the similarity between two and Mm -hmm. seven, numbers two and seven. Right. Of course. What do you think my answer was? Okay. I don't even know because I would overthink that too. I would (laughs) think about that for a little bit. Exactly. One is on, one is even. (laughs) Exactly. She was like, so I was like, I thought about it. She was like, just give it a try. So I was like, oh, they both slant to the same side. She was like, you're overthinking it. She was like, there are numbers. <laughs> that was something else. I was That's like, the similarity. I was like, oh, I was like, see why I'm here? <laughs> I would have never been that simple. It's like, if you just say simple, no, I have to think about how they're shaped. Exactly. Crime numbers. Like, what is, what's the similarity? I'm like, wait, people live this simple life where they just look at stuff. Right. And, just- and it just is what it is. I would never know. <laughs> it's crazy, but that's why. St- but that's so we'll find out what I have in, <laughs> in February. But I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely out of a thinker. So you know, that was good. So yeah, back to how uh, your you know medical diagnosis um, may have affected um, you during the grief. I think um, because in a way it piled up on top of grief you already yeah. have something that you're m- living with um you know you're practicing maintaining it and then the grief grief happens you know your mom and then your best friend yeah i think so first grief doesn't end right like it just it doesn't go away it just mm-hmm. how we respond to it changes i think over time or it doesn't sometimes oh, I, I don't know. This my dad's own so far. I think one of the guests earlier on said um something, a word that I'm gonna borrow, substantial. Mm. My dad's death was substantial for me mm. compared to my brother passing in 2014, compared to I think I had a girlfriend that was really close to me that passed in college. My dad's own substantial. Yeah. Yeah. So. so absolutely. There's like substantial grief and then there's grief that we just deal with on a regular basis. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, depression for me is this is similar. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's like there are days where I'm good, where I'm working through it, where I'm having great days, where I'm happy, where stuff is good. I have things to look forward to. And then I'll just be sitting one day and then I'll just be like, dang, I'm not just sad. I'm mm-hmm apathetic I am mm. I don't want to be around anybody I don't want to talk to anybody I don't want to be bothered I'm irritable there are just days where I'm like depression does not go it's just underlying and it's there and grief is similar right and so at times it feels like you'll never get out of it and so those two things weighing on my body at the same time and then I'll have anxiety too 
the anxiety about am I going to die? I went immediately about four or five months after Krista passed. And I was like, I think there's a lump on my breast. I went to my doctor and she was like, this is just, this is just tissue. You're about, you're probably about to come on your cycle. You know, I was just so worried about dying. And also I was suicidal. So I was like, I'm worried about dying, but I don't want to be here. So it was like depression, anxiety, grief, all of those things compounded on top of each other. Um, And I think it made it harder for me to actually deal with my grief at first or to even acknowledge it at first. And so, yeah, I think all of those things compounded on top of each other simultaneously, going in and out of each, having good days and having horrible days, just kind of, it all came to a head Mm -hmm. at once. And so it just, I think that now that I'm finding ways to identify what it is, like not just saying, oh, today I'm really sad. No, today I'm, I'm sad, but I don't want to do this. I'm irritable. I don't feel like cleaning. I don't feel like touching a dish, but I'm going to do something. I'm just going to do something to get out of it. I'm going to take a shower or I'm going to walk outside. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to clean off this table. Whatever little things I can do, I'm going to do them. And I think that is, that has been key to like keeping me out of the stuck place that I was in. Because I was in a, a deep depression on top of grieving. Hmm. Right? Like, and what, the only way that I can explain depression is like being under a weighted blanket and not being able to get up. Like not being able to move. Being under a weighted blanket that is too heavy for your body. Hmm. And just it feels comforting to be in it, right? It's consistent. It's there. Mm. And so you know that it's not go- it's not going anywhere. It's very consistent. I don't know if there's a show called Big Mouth on Netflix and it's very inappropriate. However, <laughs> super inappropriate is about a bunch of middle schools and talking about puberty and sex and all the things. But there are these um, kind of monsters and animals. They have the hormone monster and the hormone monstrous and they have the depression kitty. And the depression cat kind of, she's sweet. She's like Southern. She's the, the way that they depict her. She looks like a Cheshire cat. She comes and sits on you and she's like, oh, baby, don't get up. You don't need to get up. Just stay right here. Just stay right where you are. It's comforting here. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's just consistent. I right? relate to that voice. <laughs> that tells you like, you should just stay here. Cause why, what do you, why do you need to get up? Why do you need to go do something? And so all of those things together, just like that comfort and that anxiety and that nagging need to like get up. You have to get up, but why? Why do you need to do anything? Nobody likes you. Your family hates you. You don't call them. You don't answer their phone calls. Mm. You don't You don't do what you're supposed to do. Why would you call them? And when I finally called them, my family started crying because they missed me so much mm. because they wanted to be around me so much, but I had told myself that because I didn't answer their phone calls or because I was in this place they would hate me yes and it was just like they were so overjoyed that I contacted them you know and so excited that I was coming out of that place oh I'm crying now but (laughs) thinking about that but it's just like it's a it's a place that you feel stuck Mm -hmm. right and I and grief doesn't just it wasn't just the grief that did that it was all the other stuff Mm -hmm. you know 
I liked I liked the um the way that blanket you're gonna laugh at this even though it's been a thing for about two and a half years I don't have a weighted blanket somebody just got me one for Christmas oh they just did. but so so I couldn't really relate to the analogy but when you said you know the the cat was like ah, that I can relate to because I there were days like even normally even till now I I joke like I was like, you know what? I tell the kids, the kids are like, oh, mom, this, around the time it was happening, mom, do this, do that. I was like, oh no, my dad used that. And then they would shrink. And I knew like, I was just using that as a cop-out, like, you know, and that was the ones I vocalized for like, like you two. There were days I didn't feel like taking my bath. Um, I couldn't drive. Thank goodness my kids were around, like, but they had to be in places. Um, so all I did was I'll be like, okay, I will sit beside you. You do the driving. Um, thank God you have a learner's permit. You have a driving thing. All right, I'll do that. I'll be beside you. But like, it was a lot. And I just wish one thing I, I want people to know, even from what you said, is that when we don't reach out to people, it's not like we're being intentional. Um, you know, I wish people would just go with their gut instinct and be like, oh, you know, something is going on. Let me just reach out to the person. Um, and it doesn't even, I, I don't even need to respond, right? But don't give up on me after the second text or mm -hmm. after the first phone call. Um, don't take it personal. At that point, it's not about you all. It's about me, the person grieving, and, you know, everybody grieves differently, but some of us grieve, like, really hard, like, I go deep, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, when I, gr I'm grieving, and I'm brokenhearted, I am really doing it hard, um, mm -hmm. I, I wonder how people jump out of it, um, I know that's one of the questions I, I ask my um, therapist, and, and, and even other people I've spoken to, and there's an after effect if you don't grieve well, you know, if you don't grieve well, there's a problem that's going to be festering in you in there, or you could lose it one day too. So, um, so that's you a can thing. repress your you can't repress your feelings; they bubble up. Mm, yes, they come up at a later at a later time. So, did you have um, therapy at the beginning when yours was happening? I started therapy when my mom was sick. And I okay. went to the therapist, like, right after she passed. I made another appointment. But I didn't go back after that. My doctor okay. had given me some Xanax. I was taking Xanax, and I was okay. just zoned out for a little bit. Xanax. <sighs> mm. Mm. I was zoned out for a while. Yeah, that would do that to you. And I just, I wasn't, no, I wasn't going to therapy like I should have been. Mm. Okay. Because I, I was wondering if that would help. I know about Xanax because, um, so I was, I have, I was diagnosed with PMDD. It's called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I don't mm -hmm. think anyone knows about it, but you do? Yeah, I know about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I was like, I turned 40 a couple of years ago and then a lot of stuff just started happening and um, I couldn't figure it out. But like for a whole, a whole one year, I charted the way I behaved every week um, before the, you know, before the cycle, 
um, during the cycle, after the cycle, weeks led into the cycle. And I started noticing a pattern. So like after another year of doing that, I was like, okay, Dr. XYZ, I don't understand what's going on with me. You know, we had like a whole series of conversations. That was with my medical doctor. And then they were like, okay, we'll do, she, I think we did like a face-to-face -face conversation where she asked me a lot of questions. And after that, she was like, okay, go do this test. Did the test. Um, and I was like, oh, you have PMDD. I was like, what in the world is PMDD? like what i was like okay um you know it comes to there's some good things that comes about which you know the whole i have a lot of energy for some other stuff but then the other the the part the depressive stuff you know like there'll be like for like a a whole three days sometimes i wouldn't be able to sleep and like i couldn't tell anybody like but that doesn't mean i'll go to work and i'll be tired no I'll still head to the office and like still strong up on energy. I guess the same energy that made me not sleep <laughs> would follow me through the day. To the, <laughs> into the office. Um, anyway, she, one of the things she gave me was, um, was like a tiny bit of Xanax. But because she said, oh, we'll, we'll test it. I'll see how it works for you. I'm telling you, I felt like a zombie. Yeah. When I, and, I, and she knows I don't even take I don't even take vitamin D when she prescribes it to me and then she gives me this thing I'm like I don't do medicine well like I know I, which is why I don't do alcohol I can't hold this thing down I'm allergic to like 500 type of things in the world look I ended up leaving it alone but yeah. but but good thing is that I noticed that about myself and I felt for me that wasn't I didn't want to feel that way. So, yeah. so that, that medicine was a no. But then I found um, an homeopathic medicine that really works. Um, you know, this beautiful Nigerian lady sells it. She's actually like a real professional who just started making it because of personal reasons. And so good. I'm telling you, I use that thing. I have no problem. <sighs> All that to say that you being on Danak, I true, truly understand. Um, I understand the feeling yeah. um, about that. So I think I hijacked that conversation. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot. The, Zan the Xanax was, it, it, it helped me for what it was helping me for, but when it wasn't helping me, it was not, it was not helpful. Like, I think when I first got home, they prescribed it because I was freaking out about my mom passing. Mm -hmm. I like was having a lot of had anxiety and I had a lot of anxiety about it. And so that was why I had the prescription. But after a while, it just I was just not myself. Mm. I was not myself. And it works for some people, though, right? It does. It did not work for me the way that it should have. It got me into a place where I, I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to, again, didn't want to move, didn't want to do anything. So that was like on top of the grief, on top of the depression, I was taking Xanax and I was just like, mm. like so not moving. How did you get the word back to, to the doctor to be like, I need to be I don't even, I don't even think I said, she prescribed it to me once. And, and I think just for that moment, that's what I had the prescription for, for the, like the funeral and all of those things okay. so that I didn't have, which 
that didn't help that day. But um, I I didn't even tell her. I just stopped. Okay, so you knew intuitively that okay, this isn't okay. This yeah. isn't for okay. this is not for me. I get. I, I like that. Um, I think I would I'd do the same, <laughs> the same thing also. I well, I did the same thing really. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm looking at this um question I have here. When you say um process over productivity, right? Um, when you're grieving, um, especially with 2022, 20, ugh, I'm already a year ahead. You trying to get out this crazy? <laughs> exactly right. Um, 2020. But everything we've gone through, all the deaths that happened, um, what does that mean? If, if you were talking to um, a younger person who's lost a family member, a friend, a girlfriend, um, a, a mother's friend, you know, what would that mean to, from you to them? Um, a lot of times we just want to get to the end result. We just want to get better. Right. And which is fair, like you want to get out of whatever you're in, but the pro whatever process that you are in is just as if not more important than the end result. So like that, those two, three years where I was just having a really hard time, I wasn't working, I wasn't doing much of anything, people couldn't get a hold of me. Those things really prepared me and propelled me to the place that I'm in today. Okay. Um, I'm in a, I'm in such a better place that I did not see for myself. I did not see this end for me. I saw another end. I didn't think I would be here. I'm 30. I'll be 32 this year. I didn't think I was going to see that. Mm. And so the process, I, even though it was difficult, it was hard. It was some days it was disgusting. I was disgusted with myself, all of the things, um, that process really, made for a better testimony mm. in my life like being able to talk to people about grief and and say like confidently like i know i have this experience firsthand it is difficult but you will actually make it out of here like i am in a new normal place right i miss my mother every single day mm. every day there's not a day that i don't think about my mom and for christmas krista's mom sent me Krista's favorite fragrance and a picture of her and you know she's she's dealing with her own grief of losing a daughter and so like that triggered a little bit of stuff in me right and so it grief doesn't go away mm -hmm. it just we just find different ways to deal with it and that mm -hmm. is a part of the process mm, that's I a part that's... of the process oh wow that's so deep too doesn't really go away it doesn't. It just, you know, it gets different. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to say it gets better. It just gets different. Yeah, I think so. When I think of my dad from the day it happened until now, yeah, I see how it's different. It hasn't changed, but, you know, yeah, I totally mm -hmm. see. Okay, so um, let me see. Thank you, first of all, again, um, or again, for, you know, for sharing this, all of this journey with, with me and anyone else listening. Um, you know, I know it's, it's a lot to have a mom pass. And then um, I think I have, and then a few months later, six months later, to have your best um, friend pass too. So 
Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. So as we, um, I, I, I want to ask about the process when your mom was in the hospital. Um, I know some people can have parents who pass away in the hospital. Some um, have parents that pass away at home. Was there anything unique about her passing away in the hospital? So my mother was, one, one of her friends was taking care of her. Um, one of our close family friends was taking care of her in her last days and so they had a hospital bed in her house. She had to have a hospital bed because she couldn't lay in a regular bed. Um, okay. And so she was on the couch from, I wasn't there. So from what I know, she was on the couch talking and then she just kind of drifted off what she would do. Cause she was on medication and she just kind of drifted off. So she passed away and they called the ambulance. So by the time she got to the hospital, she was already gone. Okay. So, um, my my mom's close family friend, our our close family friend, Miss Marsha, my aunt Marsha, as I call her, she she when I got back home, she showed me this stain on the window. It looked like an angel, I guess, <laughs> to her. It looked a little bit like an angel. She was like, "This is what your mother was looking at," and I like to tell myself that you know that was you know that's what she saw. That was the last thing she saw before she passed. And so. Everybody had to find ways to comfort themselves yeah. when my mom passed. Because again, she was really important to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that was unique that she was in a place where she was safe. Mm -hmm. And she really just, I like to believe that she really just got tired. Mm -hmm. You know, she got tired. And I'm sorry. <laughs> you are You are safe here. We can, we can both do this. Today's just not my day to, to be teary-eyed. As you know, the days are never the days we think. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even put any mascara on because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be that person. But, you know, she she chose. She made a choice and she just got tired. She was mm -hmm. tired of oxygen. She was tired of mm -hmm. not being able to breathe. She was a shell of herself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like she was figure big she couldn't eat anything you know she couldn't walk she mm. was in a wheelchair and she just that wasn't who she was yeah and so a lot of them give up when they get to that stage i know like even my dad of course never got sick when he was alive which yeah we're not we're all now like oh my gosh that's not a good thing but then, <laughs> you know but then come to realize like he had always mentioned like oh you know, he wants to be able to go when he wants to go. He yeah. doesn't want us to be like there, dotting over him, changing diapers, you know, all of those things. And it's so funny because he said all of those. And in a way, he got his wish. Yeah. Like, you know, it was really fast, bam, 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 like within, it's like almost like a week. At least for me, it was just a few days. Um, I, you know, I found out on a Sunday, he died on a Wednesday. So it was too fast. And even when I found out on a Sunday, he, we weren't told that it was a dire condition. You know, it was just like, oh, he's not, um, <clears throat> he's on oxygen. He has malaria. You know, mm. everybody in Nigeria has malaria. He was still texting people from his bed. 
I'll see you when I get home. I mean, you know, so it didn't like he's doing okay. It didn't sound like an emergency, and we're still like chatting with family, and then he passes um, on that Wednesday morning. So I'm like, wait. And then everything he's always said, you know, flashes back in front of you. He never wanted to be a burden. Um, and maybe the heart knows what the heart knows. And, and, and your mom also, the same thing. You know, she knew, okay, this is the right time to go. Mm -hmm. And look, the angel came. And, um, and I wasn't um, there. She didn't mm -hmm. want me to see her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, and I, look, I always told myself she was, she waited for me not to be there. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> she knew what that would do to you too. Yeah. They're and always the last, looking out for us still. The last thing she said to me was how proud she was of me. So that's the last conversation oh. that I got to have with my mom. You mm -hmm. know? Oh, so. sweet. I like that they still have firm us. Yeah. Towards the end, my dad had some really good, because it's on my Facebook page. And like he had been text chatting like, just random statement, even though then I was like, why is he saying that? Like, I didn't know it was already not feeling, feeling well. So those are always great reminders. Um, so thank you for being so um, um, open and vulnerable. I enjoyed our conversation. And um, as we wrap it up, um, I would love for you to share um, about your upcoming projects and um, your social media handles. Um, if you're on Clubhouse, make sure you add that. <laughs> yes, I have one Clubhouse. I cut off my notification, so I'm not on there as much, but I got to hop on Clubhouse, keep some more. But I am, you can find me at patientsthings.com. All of my stuff is there. I'm patients things on everything on Instagram, on Twitter, on Clubhouse. Uh, so you can find me at patients things. I, I just started a blog, so that'll be up. Uh, very soon okay. um, so yeah I'm super excited to share that with you all but just follow me on patientsthings.com you can uh, follow me and also subscribe to my newsletter so that'll be sent out to you okay. all right. so everyone you've heard it from patients you, you know where to find her um, and hope like um, she has me she inspires you on your journey too so See you all later. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.